0: Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. I'm super excited about this. Um, Truly great songwriters are an incredibly rare uh, rare thing. I was gonna say commodity, but um, I don't consider, I don't even like songs to be uh, commodified. And I think uh, songwriting is an unbelievable craft and also sort of a magical gift. And Brandy Clark has written some of the best songs of the last uh, long number of years. To me, she's in a, a tradition of songwriters like uh, Towns, Van Zandt and Dolly Parton and is uh, as good as they come. And her songs are popular in their time too, which is uh, with Towns wasn't always the case. Brandy, thanks for being here.
1: Oh, thank you and thanks for that. I mean, can I take you on the road with me? That was a really nice <laughs> intro. <laughs>
0: well you you know um i i i rarely say yes when i'm pitched for a podcast but like your manager or somebody like sent like we're we're like would you be interested in this and i said yes so quickly because um i'm fascinated by songwriting and i i asked a couple people what makes you great and i so i asked darius rucker i was like why would you want to write with with uh brandy darius my my pal and he said i'm dying to write with her because she's so real and her voice makes you believe. And I asked Shane, um, who I know is your like bestie, mm, um, yeah. and what it is, and he said, she's the world's best listener. Everyone who works with her feels heard. I could talk for hours about her empathy and her soul. I love her.
1: Oh, that makes me a little bit teary. That's so <laughs> nice. That's so nice. I,
0: yeah, and I, it must be so great to have your peers think of you and your work and you as a human in that way.
1: It is, you know, I mean, honestly, I didn't, I wouldn't even know that Darius Rucker was aware of me. So that's a really big thing. Um, He cut a song actually that Shane and I wrote on, on a record of his love without you. That's one of my favorites. Um, So the fact that he even thinks of me is pretty big and cut a song of mine is, is even bigger, but, and then Shane, you know, I have, a real soul connection with Shane, you know, he has said before that we see the world the same way and that's why we write songs well, or, you know, we see it similarly, I guess is, is the, you know, what he would say. Um, but yeah, I mean that, like I said, when you said that it choked me up a little bit. Um, cause I, I try to listen more than I speak because I think that, you know, that's what you have to do to be a, a really good storyteller is to really pay attention to the details. And and I don't do it because, I don't necessarily do it because I'm always thinking, oh, this is going to be a song. I do it because I love a great story. Um, and I want to yes. retell it right.
0: Yeah, that, that makes total sense to me. Uh, that ri- writers, the best writers, are often at a slight remove sometimes. Uh, and again, I agree with you, not because we... Um, you know, all right. Not, 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 not as a, not as a technique or a tactic. It, it's sort of like we become writers because that's how we move through the world maybe.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I was fortunate in that I always say I, I studied at the feet of giants. My, um, my grandma and her siblings, I grew up next door to my grandma and they were amazing storytellers. And they had amazing lives. And so I remember being a little kid and then a teenager listening to their stories. And the thing that always struck me about their stories is they were larger than life stories, but the details never changed. And so, huh, yeah. you know, they were they were telling the truth. And I always think that the truth is is better than fiction. Like, you can't, when they say, oh, you can't make that up, I, that's true.
0: Well- I, when I listen to your songs, um, you know, when I when I listen to the songs on either the new album or on 12, 12 Stories, uh, I'm I I'm immediately put into various people that I've known in my life or situations that I've witnessed or predicaments that friends have told me about, and and I can tell what it, what an incredible listener y- you are. But then you know to have the ability to go from listening to then being able to tell the story like, and in the way that um, that it's something others can grab onto. I mean, that, it, that's where I think some craft comes into it, right?
1: Yeah. And, and you know, that's a learned, that is definitely a learned thing and something that I learned when I moved to Nashville and immersed myself in the songwriting community. And I, and I started and you know, I paid attention to the songs that I wanted to hear again and again. And that moved me at a first listen or, you know, I had my first publisher used to say, I want to see the video when you write the right. song. And so I started to pay attention to how really great writers did that. And and just, you know, what is that? Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. I, uh, I started to try to imitate those kinds of songs. I mean, you mentioned Dolly uh, and Towns Van Zandt. I mean, those are great storytellers, and I often think some of the great the 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 things in their stories that we hang on to the most are the little details.
0: Oh, I totally agree. And Guy Clark's another huge one for me, and it's the same thing—the tiny little moments that Guy will depict make you understand the whole world behind, you know, behind the song. And I mean, a, a song like well, a few, all right, a bunch of questions showed up, and then I, when you when you were talking about. About these different, who were some of those songwriters? When you say you went back to like the songs that made you want to do this, like who were some of those songwriters and what were some of those songs that you studied in that way or that hit you in that way?
1: Well, oh man, there's so many. That's such a great question. I mean, I think, you know, the first songwriters that really hit me were um, Loretta Lynn. Yep. And Dolly, of course. Merle Haggard. Harlan Howard because I was set su- in Hank Cochran, because I was such a Patsy Cline fan.
0: Right. Um,
1: Willie Nelson, you know, well, crazy- that, I was going
0: to say Patsy brings you right to Willie Nelson, yeah. of course. Yeah.
1: Crazy is my favorite song of all time. You know, I'll spend my life trying to write crazy <laughs> and um, <laughs> I really will. Like, um, and, you know, even like you think about like, I think Hank Cochran wrote, she's got you, the, you know, great, great um patsy patsy song all those things you know i got your picture that you gave to me and it's signed with love just like it used to be that little detail those were the things that i that i just as a kid i didn't know why i loved it i just loved it and then when i would go and start to study those songs i would think oh and it's signed with love like that's that that little detail i could see that on the picture and then you know as music moved on, I was, Oh, I, I didn't, I, I didn't know it at the time, but I was a huge, hugely influenced by Gretchen Peters. I mean,
0: Oh yeah, sure.
1: Gretchen told am- that. amazing stories and stories of women. You know, that was, that was something that was different in her songs. And then melodically when I, and you know, and I loved the people, I loved the singer songwriters of the seventies too, like Carole King and James Taylor. I loved all that. But then, you know, like Dean Dylan was a huge influence on me, because um, I loved George Strait, and so I would just like with his songs, I would. I, what I realized that that really drew me into those songs was there was a melodic hookiness, but yet simplicity. And songs like The Chair, that was Dean Dillon and Hank Cochran. Oh, of course.
0: Wow. I don't know Dean Dillon's name, but I will now. Like, yeah, that's amazing. I know that song really well.
1: Oh, you should know his name and you should know his daughter's name, Jesse Joe Dillon, who's one of my frequent co-writers. I'm sure we'll talk about songs that I've written with Jesse Joe. But yeah, like Dean and Hank wrote The Chair. And I always, that song came out when I was a pretty little kid. And I just loved, I love a song. I saw somewhere one time that, the most important line in the song is the first line. And that's a song where it really is for me like, well, excuse me, but I think you've got my chair. I am right in a bar. You know, you don't need to tell me anything more. And so those, I just started to pay attention. And then, you know, early on in Nashville, I was meeting with publishers and they would play me demos of songs that went on to be hits, but at the time were just demos and you could tell the difference. There was a different level of storytelling and I wanted to get to that story, that level, but I wanted to, and, and at the time I didn't know this, but as the years went on, I realized I wanted to get to that level of storytelling, but in my way, like I didn't want to tell story. I mean like Craig Wiseman, when I first moved to Nashville, Mark Sanders, those guys were like the big, you know, commercial hit songwriters. And, you know, I would really Craig was one of those guys that he just would put a million pictures in a song. And and I remember kind of trying to emulate that style of songwriting and and it helped me. I mean, I was never gonna write his songs as, as well as he was, but it helped me learn Oh wow, it's so great because of those little details, like dropping the ring in the spaghetti plate. You know, just that yes. kind of stuff.
0: That- well, when I was li- when I was listening to uh, the pawn shop song, you know, it it brought me back to this tradition of songs. the 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 um, What's the name of the song? What's the name of that song? So I'm looking at the record. Yeah, yeah pawn shop. I mean, um, it is in this tradition of those kind of songs, and it reminded me of so many songs. But it's the specificity of the descriptiveness of each of those characters and what they'd been through. And then there's this tiny bit of optimism that you somehow are able to get into these sad songs that blows my mind. And this life force, I think, that's in there. And how, how conscious are you as you're telling these stories of, of, of making sure there is some, some sense of possibility or hope or redemption somewhere around the corner? Because in most of your songs, I do hear that.
1: Oh, thank you. That's a great compliment because that is something I strive for, is to put a little hope. And in Pawn Shop, you know, it's the bridge about, you know, it'll be somebody else's dream secondhand. Yes. Um, I always want there to be hope. That is the optimist in me about life. You know, I always, I feel like life is a dark comedy. So I want to have as much, um, I want to have it with the tragedy. I want to have a little comedy or, you know, with the sad, I want to have a little hope because I think we all need that.
0: Yeah. I, I, I completely, I completely agree. Do you, do you, do you know this when I was listening to, do you know this songwriter named Slade Cleaves He's a Texas guy?
1: I do not. I clearly, I need to,
0: he's a great songwriter. He has this song called broke down that you would really like. Um, it was a, like a big hit on, on, um, like Americana stations in two thousand and one or something like that, like mm-hmm. a long time ago, but he's a he you would like his songs he's a he's from Maine, but he's a Texas guy for the last long time and and he writes with the kind of specificity that you're um that you're talking about and 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 the other song that i I have to tell you when I heard it, I was like that I have to understand how you wrote it, and you can be as granular as you want, but what'll keep me out of heaven to me is just flat out a perfect that is a perfect country song you know Um, and I wonder how you wrote it and also if when you wrote it you knew oh I wrote I wrote something like this is a special kind of a thing
1: I love that you brought that song up you know that goes back to that song takes me back to you know when I was talking about Patsy Cline or Loretta Lynn yes yes my mom is you know really I talk about all those those people, but my mom was probably my biggest musical influence because she could play so many things and introduced me to all that music and and so there's this part of me that's always trying to write a song that's going to impress my mom. And <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, it's it, so great. It's just the truth and and she I don't even think she knows that, but that's really the truth. You know, I I will I love to have my mom's approval still, and she always loved that song "Heaven's Just a Sin Away." Yeah, And I always thought that was such a catchy hook. And I was thinking about that song, Heaven's Just a Sin Away. And how could I write a song like that? You know, my mom loves that song. And I i just, I remember I was at the library and I wasn't reading or anything. I was just sitting at a table and I thought, what'll keep me out of heaven will take me there tonight. Like, wow. it just yeah. hit me. And then I was I was set up to write with a guy named Mark Steven Jones, who, if you don't know, you need to know he's a genius. And he, um, we were writing and, and I was excited to write with him because I had heard some of his songs and I really liked them. And so we were sitting down and and he said, um, it was the first time we'd written. And, and he said, I've kind of got this idea for you. And he told me the idea and it was a really good idea. And I said, well, I really love that. But, but for some reason I have been saving this idea, thinking you might like it. And he said, what is it? And I said, well, the hook would be what'll keep me out of heaven will take me there tonight. And he like, he gets up and he shuts the door and he said, have you told that to anybody else? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, no, I, I haven't. And so we wrote it. We sat there and we wrote it that day. And, and honestly, I didn't know how good it was right then. And, um, and I don't mean that to pat myself on the back. Cause I write a lot of songs that aren't good, but that one, you know, that was, that's a, that's up there for me. And, and, but when I first turned it into my publisher at the time, they were pretty unimpressed and come later, on,
0: what do you mean? Wait, what yeah, do you mean? They were unimpressed? Well, go like, slow, really go slowly and tell me what you mean. They weren't impressed. I stopped my car when I heard that song. Like, I don't even understand. What do you mean? They didn't.
1: The, well, they just do? like yeah, it's okay, you know, and other ah. other songwriters who I really respected would hear that song and be like, "Oh my god!" Now later on, my publisher, that was my first publisher, said to me, "You know, I was wrong about that. Like, and because you know, sometimes the song just doesn't hit somebody on the right day." Mm. Uh,
0: yes, and, yes,
1: you know. So, yes. so my first publisher, who who did a lot in shaping me as a writer, I have to say. Um, you know was also big enough to say I missed that one um and it didn't take long to get to oh I missed that one because it was a song that a lot of people really you know when they heard it were like oh I love that um and you know I'm
0: surprised that one hasn't been cut by a you know like and become a huge hit single for somebody uh,
1: yeah you know I don't know I don't know maybe it's too country which hey Big compliment to me. Right. When someone says two country. Um, subject matter, you know, it's an adult song. It's
0: yeah, well, that's for sure. When, when when they heard it, when they heard it, Brandy, so you send the song into your publisher and you're excited, kind of, and you're the guy the guy who wrote it with Mark is excited. And when they say that to you, because Shane said something to me when we were talking, he goes, you know, the first reaction to a song Cause he was talking about when he wrote um, John Cougar, John Deere and which to me is the perfect pop country. song like, I can't mm-hmm. believe somebody wrote that, you know yeah. what it is, but he said, you know, when he, he sent it to Keith and Keith immediately responded and he said, you know, that first reaction sort of defines your own relationship to your song sometimes because oh. if they don't like it, it can really like defeat you. So what happened when you sent it in and they were just like, yeah, that's all right. Did it, did it take the wind out of your sails or did you have confidence?
1: No, it took the wind out of my sails. I mean, I'd love to say that it didn't, <laughs> but it did. And, and, you know, luckily Mark's publisher was over the moon about it. And so there was, a, and like I said, it didn't take my publisher a super long time to come around to it. Um, but, but Shane is right about that, you know, and, and I'm always, I lay awake in bed so, at night sometimes and think, why do I get, why do I get so much validation or so little, the opposite? Of uh, why do I get defeated in what someone else thinks of something? I mean, recently during this, this, you know, this quarantine, songwriting has been a lot different because we're all trying to do yeah. it on Zoom. And I used to write a lot by myself. And there are so many amazing co-writers in Nashville that sort of gotten out of that. But in this, I've I've been forced to get a little back into it. And you know, I, I, I wrote this song by myself, which is a way different process. You know, it's, it's a longer process. And, and I actually really enjoy that process. But when I finished the song, I didn't really, I didn't even turn it in. And, but I played it for my manager, you know, and managers are different, you know, they're, they're there to make artists keep going, you know, like so, so often, you know, I've never dealt, With a manager who who stifles artists, that wouldn't be the right manager for me. Um, My managers have been cheerleaders in a lot of ways when it comes to the creative process. And my manager said, "You need first of all, I hadn't finished it, and said you need to finish that song like that, you know." Because a lot of times I'll I'll start things by myself, and I and I start to lose confidence in them, and then I'll take them to a co-writer. And, and, you know, had we not been in lockdown, I probably would have taken it to a co-writer, but she was like, you need to finish it. And it was crazy. And then you need to turn it in, not just to your publisher, but to the label. And both places, it was like, this is amazing. And I think, oh, thank God for that, because it makes me want to dig in and get back to writing more by myself Yes. had it been the other way I would probably <laughs> be like okay I just need to give up that right by myself thing there was a season of it I learned a lot from it but it's a waste of my time and so so yes I mean back to what Shane said that first reaction part of why I've had so much success with Shane is because his first reaction is always positive and and I really battle an internal demon that tells me I'm not very good or that's stupid, or it's too simple. And Shane is one of those people for me as a co-writer that just happens to like my instincts and talks me into them a lot of times. Um, musically, I always feel like I'm too simple and I'll play something for him and be like, it's not this, but, and he's like, no, it's that. Um, but if I was That's writing awesome. with somebody else and they were like, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we ought to trick it up a little, then I would, that just, feeds that doubtful, what's that,
0: there's that. Where, where does that doubtful thing come from? What, what, what I, what I, this is where I'd want, before we got off on all this, like where I'd wanted to, cause I mean, you are, um, you're acknowledged as one of the great songwriters by all the people who matter in that world. Um. I'm sure it's very hard to get an appointment to write with you and all that stuff. Like Darius was like, I would, I I, I would love to get to write with her, which makes me think somehow that hasn't been able to happen. But um, though I know you'd write with Darius, I know you gladly yeah, write with Darius. It's
1: never been brought to me. It's never been brought to me. I would totally do yeah, it.
0: No, of course. Um, but um, yeah, I think he said six number ones in a row, but um, but he, uh, but, but there was, a, I was going to say, where does that, that, um, that self doubt come from, because you are clearly one of the best people doing what you do. Did you, uh, did you not, I mean, you say, obviously you got along or your mother gave you a lot of support in certain ways and you still want to please her in other ways. What, as you were becoming an artist, a creative person, what was the internal battle like?
1: Well, you know, definitely it didn't come from my parents. You know, they were really supportive of me. and I think, you know, I'm a competitive person by nature and competitive mostly with myself. Yep. Um, in what we do, even when you're highly successful, it's still about 95% failure. And, you know, every time I think, oh, I'm doing mm-hmm. pretty good, <laughs> something something won't happen, you know, or, or there'll be, I mean, I hate to say this, but, you know, like, there'll be a best of list that I'm not on and it'll wreck me, like, oh, wow, you know, maybe that's not as good as I thought it was. And, and, I, and I will say this, I think that doubt, those doubters, if I can keep them, like the doubters inside of my own self, yeah, if I can keep them at a certain place, I actually think they make me better because I think the moment you think, oh, my God, I have, I'm at the top of this mountain is the moment you're at the bottom of it and you don't know. Like well, part of yeah. what keeps people that are creative, I think it's such a delicate balance, um, is to not to not believe that you're that you're towns van zant, right. you know. Like you
0: have to, yeah, yeah. You gotta. I mean, you gotta have the. I mean, I I, I don't know because this is just a podcast that was on your schedule, but you know that I'm a I'm a writer, right? Do you know? Yes, yes. Okay, I just didn't know. I didn't. You know, I don't know what you like. I don't know. So, like. um, I think you have to somehow feel like you have something enough to say that you can get started and like get the first draft or or the first attempt somehow going. Do you know what I mean? And then, but then the crit, I try to keep that critical voice at bay until I get finished with some piece, you know, that, the critical voice at bay, at least until I get somewhat down the road. It sounds to me like you're wrestling with it almost from, the moment you come up with the chords for the chorus
1: i am you know but i feel one thing that i that this time has done for me is i'm getting better at that because um it, for years I, I had a therapist tell me years ago that i talked about this to. um we're i mean we're just getting into deep things here talking about therapy <laughs> yeah. um i used to um equate how long it took me to do something with how good it was. Like it took me a long time. And, and she said, wow, I really wish you would get yourself away from that. Have you ever done the artist's way? Oh yeah. "Yeah."
0: Life-changing. Life-changing.
1: I I said, no. And, and she said, well, you should. So that was probably 15 years ago. And so during this time I was texting with a friend of mine and he's a, he's a writer, um, journalist. And I said, what have you been doing? And he said, I'm doing the artist's way. Have you ever done it? I said, no. He said, you should. Since you just finished this record, you should do it. So I started doing it. And, I've, and it talks about turning that sensor part of your brain off. Yes, yes. And it's really helping me. Like, I see it as something I'm going to have to just not, I shouldn't say have to, I'm going to get to do the rest of my life. Because it's, it's so nice to have that sensor off that's telling you, oh, this sucks. This is boring. I get rid of it in those morning pages and then i just get creative uh,
0: this is the most amazing i mean yeah that's amazing i just um so the week before your this episode airs but um, my conversation with julia cameron will air
1: oh wow
0: it was amazing because she changed my life i mean that's the thing that made me become i was a blocked writer till i was 30 and mm-hmm. i did the artist's way and that changed everything that literally turned me from being a blocked writer into a professional writer within a year, you know. So oh,
1: she's changing my life right now, and and yep. it's crazy to me that I would be where I'm at in my career. Yes, and be doing it, but I need it. And
0: no, I think it's something I just I recommend it to. Prof- I recommend that to professional writers who are having trouble getting off the dime sometimes, or feeling mm-hmm. like they're beating their themselves up, or like it's not fun because they're they're the perf- the perfectionism is defeating them. And I'm like, well, just go do pages, just do morning pages for a month and, and, and see where that gets you because it don't you find it just opens you up in a, a completely.
1: It's funny you would say that Brian, because it does because what I find is, and I haven't gone back and read my pages because it says not to.
0: No, don't, don't, I don't, don't do it. Don't but do
1: what it. I notice in the way I feel is as it goes on, the beginning was a lot of negative self-talk. I would always by the end of the third page I would be out of that negative self-talk. Yes. But as it's gone on, that negative self-talk might be for a paragraph. And then I'm just into creativity. And so that's what it's that's what it's doing for me and it will continue to do for me, is just get... Totally. Like, and, and I find that I'll say something in there that I think, oh, that's an idea, and I'll just write it at the top of the page. And when I'm done, okay. I'll put it in my phone and bring it up in a writing session or when I'm by myself. And Because nothing feels better than being creative. It doesn't feel good to be blocked. And I think you know, it talks about how anybody who's blocked is comfortable there. And I think that's that part of us that thinks... You know, like you mentioned what will keep me out of heaven. I can get real blocked when I start something thinking, well, it's not as good as what will keep me out of heaven.
0: Right. Oh, yeah. I know. Yeah.
1: And so it's like, okay, well, I don't want to write anything that's not up to that. Or people will think my best stuff is behind me. When the truth is, a lot of things that I've been a part of that are really great start out just really weird.
0: Yeah, well, what you said, it's completely true. This is, by the way, like um, talking about this stuff as as sort of deep or personal as it may be. It, every time um, an artist comes on here who's accomplished in the ways you are and talks about this, I get so many letters from people that it changed, like, and not just right away. Like someone will write us a year from now and they will send it, an email to me and tweet at you and say that conversation changed me. It'll let me become who I want to be. So it's super valuable to have this conversation. Um, I've just seen that over the years of doing this, how much it helps people. Uh, And what you said earlier ties so well into this. When you said it's all uh, uh, 95% of it is failure. I say this all the time. Like writers, being a writer is constantly getting used to the feeling of um, not being able to capture this ineffable, this ineffable feeling that you that you that you you know this idea feeling mood that you are just trying so hard to birth and it inevitably falls short at first and and the thing is to trick yourself into keeping going so that you can get to the other side and then start crafting it once you've kind of gotten it out but if you that 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 that, that sort of gap we all feel at times when when between what we're hoping will will get there and what does it can cripple you, right?
1: Oh, I think it's why a lot of people, and I've always, I've had a lot of success with people who were pot smokers, and I think part of why that is is because something about the THC frees up their brain. Yeah. And so, and I think that, that you know people can get dependent on that because it it turns that sensor off a little bit um, and just lets the creativity flow. I didn't want to get uh, that, into a whole pot smoking conversation there. It just took us there.
0: No, it's fine. I I know that that's true. Um, it's uh, the the fine line though of when it becomes something you depend on and when it doesn't makes it too tricky for me. I I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, me too. I, I mean, I'd have the munchies. I'd I would they. I'd be on my six hundred pound life, and I'm not saying that to be funny. Like,
0: r- right.
1: If I could do that and not get the munchies, I would write like that all day long.
0: That's hilarious. Uh, no, but you've also written, a, I mean, you've written at least two more than that songs about um, what happens, you know, the the the, the Little Pill song. Um, I mean, since you got personal, my my mom had a back surgery and, and became, when I heard the first lines, talk about first lines, when I heard the first lines of that song and about the col- different colors of those pills and all that stuff, I mean, I remember the little pill case my mom uh, walked around with, you know, and... Uh, before she was able to get off of those pills. And it was, it was a brutal time. And, and it shows your awareness of that stuff, but also your gift. Like I'm sure that came from some personal experience of yours or something you witnessed, but it immediately resonated in, in my life. Do you remember how that one came to be?
1: Completely. You know, it was actually somebody I knew. And in, in, um, it was an older woman I knew who really got into pills to, to deal with the death of her husband. And it was just, it was so, and it was, pills are talked about more now than they were when that song was written. But it was like, pills were acceptable, you know, like she would get pilled up as I would call it. And nobody would talk about it in the same way that they would talk about maybe when your uncle's drunk at a family function. And it was, it was just an interesting dichotomy to me and I started that song um I had the first couple of lines and I ended up finishing it with with Shane you mentioned and Mark Sanders who I mentioned earlier and it was just you know mama got depressed when daddy was dying like yeah. that was really where I mean it wasn't my mom but you know a really close friend's um relative and it just um that one that was really one that this, that first verse was very true to me.
0: So one of the things the artist ways, um, did has done for me is, I've spent the last a couple of years writing songs too. And I've been doing a lot of co-writes and all that stuff. And it was like having to get up the courage to do it. And I've been doing zoom rights with people. And I finally got a cut this year. That's coming out on a really big artists record. Good for and it's you. Like, thank you. It's amazing. Um, I mean, when it actually, they recorded it already, when it actually comes out, that's when I'll know, as you mm-hmm. know, it oh, could, yeah. I, I could easily not come out, but it, I've heard it, it was recorded. Um, but uh, can you talk people through? Cause they don't know. And I find it endlessly fascinating what the whole co-write process is really like. like. Can you talk about what it was like for you at the beginning of your career and how you got in the rooms and then what it's like now you know, when it's hard to get on your calendar? Like, because I think that cultural thing about Nashville is, is really fascinating. And I also want to understand from your perspective, from like a master's perspective, what that experience should be like. Like, What is it like when it goes really well? And what's it like when it goes poorly? Take as much time to answer that 40-part question as you want.
1: Well, I think, you know, one thing I would tell anybody who is a writer and is wanting to co-write is get out of the rooms where you don't feel like a genius as quickly as you can. Because I think that's the difference in when it works and when it doesn't. When it works, you feel really... You you feel really smart. You feel like you could say the dumbest thing on the planet, and the person you're saying it to would understand it and would know how to make it better. And when it not when it's when it doesn't work, at least I'm always sitting there thinking, oh, should I say this?
0: Oh, really? You feel yeah. sort of censor. You 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 start censoring yourself.
1: Right. I mean, I think you know we we've talked about Shane some, and I'll say what I think one of his greatest gifts is is that. Shane is really good. I think it's why he writes so well with so many people at bringing out the best in, in someone in the room by making them feel comfortable. And I really think that's a gift. And, and as much as like, I do agree with him that I'm a great listener. I don't know that I'm as great at that. I wish I was uh, at making someone feel so comfortable to say something really stupid. Um, because you know, stupidity in, in a, in a hit song are like a hair away, (laughs) you know, I mean, that's really the truth. And so I, I would say, you know, you find those rooms where you feel like you could say anything and that person would, would at least listen to you and not shut you down. You know, I, I got in a lot of rooms early on and it's just trial and error. You have to find the chemistry where now, looking back, I think, oh yeah, I got really shut down. I mean, one of the things that Shane, when he and I started writing, he really leaned on me musically because I'm, I'm, at, I mean, I don't say this to pat myself on the back, but I'm actually a really good guitar player, right. and a lot of people that I wrote with didn't know that because they play louder than me, you know. And, yeah,
0: they don't look at a woman. I mean, they don't I, look at a woman and think, oh, she's going to be good at guitar.
1: No, they right. don't. And Shane was really smart in that he noticed that about me from the first time we wrote. And I remember he called me afterwards because it was in a three-way, and it was one of those situations where it, you know, it wasn't bad, but it just, you know, we didn't really get anywhere. Brandy, and he called me away. and said, "I really hope you would give me another chance to write because I can just tell by the way you play guitar that we would. I love the way you play guitar. We would do well together." And so he noticed that right away. Oh, that's already.
0: amazing! Wait, so you mean you guys who have written all this incredible songs together? Well, tell me more about that first session. So it's you, Shane, and you don't have to—you don't have to yeah. um, say who the third person was if it didn't go well. But the three of you show up. Mm-hmm. Are, uh, is Shane famous yet, or he's not famous yet?
1: Not at all. I mean, I knew him. I knew him because I was actually a fan of his when he had a record deal on right. Curb and yes. had an album out. Yes. Um, yes. And so I knew who he was. Um, I mean, and I was a little bit confused because he, I, I knew him as Shane McAnally. And when, when he came back to Nashville, he had moved to LA for, I think, 10 years. Yes, People yes. were talking about the Shane Mack and I remember huh. seeing him at a party and I was thinking, boy, is that that he kind of looks like that Shane McAnally guy, you know? And so, um, so we got set up to write and I remember, Um, his publisher wanting to set us up thinking we would do amazing together. And my publisher saying, well, you know, he's too pop and she's too country. Like it it probably wouldn't work, which is why it worked. You know, like,
0: I mean, it worked for Donnie and Marie.
1: Yes. I'm a little bit country. I'm a little bit rock and roll. I mean, mean, why wouldn't it work? Yeah, I think Shane's um, pop sensibilities made the songs that we wrote authentically country, but with enough of a pop edge to have a little more commerciality than I would bring to the table. Um, and so, so, you know, we got together that first time and it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't like it was bad. It just, just didn't work. And what happens
0: when you first walk in the room though? I want people to understand this guy. I've never asked this question. Um, and, and I think the it's still like this thing that's gone on forever, so you black out like three hours. Do you do a couple in a day? how does it How does it normally work back when when you're sort of on the way up in this?
1: Well, when I was first coming up, I didn't know a lot of people that did the two a day thing um. Right. I've never been great at that. I mean, I, I've, I'm i good at writing a writing appointment and then maybe getting together either early and I'm better early in the morning than I right. am later in the day, but getting together for, you know, 90 minutes and finishing something. Um, sure. I've never found that I'm great at that two a day thing. Um, one One reason being that I'm not great. I can tell when I am thinking, okay, I've got 20 minutes here how do we, how do we uh, finish this yes. up? You know, I start right. to compromise in ways that aren't good for the song. So, um, when I first started, you know, now people start like 11 o'clock. When I first was writing songs, it was like nine, nine thirty, which, which I love because <laughs> I'm, I'm better. Yeah. Early. yeah. Um, and you know, you just write all day. Do um, you come
0: in with an idea? Do you usually, are you supposed to come in with an idea? Do you hold back certain ideas until you feel a vibe is good? Like how does yes. all that work?
1: Yes, I definitely do that, and and there are you know now I have a, a crew of people I write well with. Yeah, sure. And so I know like oh this is an idea I should write with Jesse Joe or this is a, an idea I should write with Scott Stepakoff or Shane or you know any number of people. Um, but a lot of times I'll have ideas for years, and they'll just be they'll just be an idea on my phone. But then somebody will play the right piece of music, yes. that makes me think oh. And when it's right, it doesn't matter if it was three years ago, I'll remember, oh man, I had that idea and I've never quite known what to do with it. This is the right musical approach. I'm going to bring it up.
0: And then you'll bring that idea up. Um, Mm -hmm. And otherwise, sometimes will you just hang, if you get in a room, hang back and mostly be playing the guitar as you're waiting to see what bubbles. How often do you write with, how often will you, will you hear a record and, and see who wrote it and say to your publisher or manager, Hey, I'd like to write with her or him. Does that ever happen?
1: You know, not a lot because I really, anytime I've gone after something I thought would be really great for me, it hasn't been, you know, it's always been the things that I just got set up with somebody and maybe on paper, it doesn't look like it would make sense. But when we got, when we get into a room together, there's a chemistry. So I don't really try to push, uh, push for things that I see and think, Oh, that would be, that'd be great. You know? And the things that tend to work for me, um, outside of my own records are a lot of times artists that want to write with me that maybe we're playing, you know, a festival together or something and they approach me and say, wow, I'd really love to write. Um, that tends to work. And then, you know, I mean I'm always a fan of the the everyday staff's blue collar songwriter. You know, that that my publisher will hook me up with and I don't know them but you know, they're writing they're writing songs every day and they're writing really good songs and you know, I just get lucky enough to get in the room with them and find a little magic.
0: Right, and then someone can become someone you'll be able to sort of uh um, work with do you think it's a good training like I find it I do find it amazing um like when I, I've been writing a lot with this incredible woman great guitar player actually named Sinead Burgess she made it she's made a couple albums she had one out last year that was really special and she's a great guitar player and we will write a. you know it's this thing where by the end of the whatever however many hours there's a song and it's incredible to me that you can have a finished you know, no matter what, you walk out of the room with a finished song, basically. Mm-hmm. And I think that's only a Nashville sort of country music thing, really.
1: Yeah, man. I, and aren't we lucky? I mean, aren't we lucky to get to be a part of that? Because I always, that's the thing that amazes me the most about this and keeps me doing it is the blank page that by the end of the day is something that can change lives,
0: Yes. Oh, completely changes the state of your day. I couldn't agree more. What made you? I mean, you're also so we're talking about all about you as a songwriter, but the 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 truth is you're also a really accomplished recording artist and you know nominated for a bunch of Grammy awards, um, recording artist. And but what what made you or what was your focus when you went to Nashville? Like growing up, did you think you were going to be an artist or a, a writer? And how has that balance? Um, worked out for you in terms of your ambitions
1: well it's funny because i i always i'll go back to the beginning but i by the time i made my my first record i said that i was you know a lot of times there are failed artists turned songwriters (laughs) and i said i was a failed songwriter turned artist um because my artist career when it came around came largely was my frustration as a songwriter in songs like what'll keep me out of heaven, not being recorded. But when I was growing up as a kid, definitely wanted to be an artist. And when I moved to Nashville, you know, wanted to be an artist and I didn't differentiate the two, like, cause a lot of the, a lot of the artists that I loved were also songwriters. So they went hand in hand to me. Um, yes. but what happened to me was, you know, I got to Nashville and, and there's a whole component to being an artist that I didn't feel like I was very good at, which was, you know, the superficial stuff. The I, I, I would be writing with people that would cancel rights because they wanted to go get their hair done, and nothing uh-huh. nothing wrong with that. That's just never going to be my way. And right. so I started, to, and I started to see those pe- some of those people have success, and I thought, yeah, maybe that's just not if that's what it takes to be successful, if it's more, if that part's more important than the creative part, then I don't know if that, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, maybe I've got the wrong goals. And so at some point, you know, I started to think also like, well, you know, I'm kind of past the age where that, that happens. And, um, and so much of it has to do with the climate um, of what, what's going on commercially and, What was going on commercially was not what I was doing at the time. And so I settled into that place of, okay, you know what? I'm a songwriter and I'm not meant to make records. You know, I'll make records on my own and sell them at my songwriting shows, which is what I started to do. I made an EP and right about the time I had really let go of that dream. Yes. It came around and It came around in a beautiful way because I was past, there were so many things, like when I look back, that I think I'm so glad that didn't happen when I was in my 20s. Because I probably would have done anything that somebody asked me to do. And by the time it came around for me, I was too far down the road.
0: You were going to make your record your way, basically. Yeah. and, right? and I You weren't going to compromise.
1: Well, and I was past the point, and I don't know that I was ever moldable when I really think about it. I am who I am, and I write the songs I write. And But I would have damn sure tried to be whatever they asked me to be. And by the time I had the opportunity to make 12 stories, that just wasn't, I, I couldn't, like I said, I was too far down the road, too set in my ways. And so... But, yeah, that's that album, that first album, I, I was so frustrated because I would get songs recorded by artists and, you know, they'd fall off of the project. Like you were saying, you don't know. I always used to say, no, until it's shrink-wrapped, it's, you know, yeah. Walmart. Well, that's not. my
0: superstition with what I do, you know, really for making movies and TV is like... Until I'm standing on set and I see trucks show up, I, I don't believe the thing's happening. You know, even 25 years later, I have to actually see the trucks and the trailers and then the cameras, and then I know, okay, it's happening. So, yeah, I know that feeling mm-hmm. of wondering.
1: And So, so I- you had
0: you had that happen. You got cuts that didn't go. Oh. You had disappointments. But, but before you made your record, you'd already... I mean, did you not consider yourself a success when all those people had cut your songs already, like the band Perry and um, Reba McIntyre and, all, you know, Miranda? I mean, did that not feel to you like you were a really successful songwriter at that point? Or well, is that just not the way your brain works?
1: Well, see, here's what's funny about you saying that. A lot of people don't know this, but when I, when I made 12 Stories, none of that had happened. I remember being in the studio making 12 stories and getting the phone call about Miranda wants to cut mama's broken heart. Oh, wow. So none of that had happened for me. And all of a sudden, a lot of things happened for me all at once. Like the week that I found out I was going to have the opportunity to make a record was the same week that Reba cut two of my songs on her, all the women I am record after having her cut a song on the last record that had fallen off. And so none of that, like when I had the chance to make twelve stories, none of that was going on. And I was also when I was first making twelve stories, um Casey Musgraves, I was starting to write with her. And cause I actually made twelve stories before they made same trailer, different park. It just 12 stories they couldn't find a home for it. A label right. home. And so even that, like my my you know, I hadn't had that success with Casey. It it was it it really, it all, it looks like it happened prior to 12 Stories, but it really didn't.
0: Right. So you recorded the record, then the songs became hits, then the mm-hmm. record came out. Right. Because you wrote, I was going to say, when you follow your arrow, which you wrote that song with Shane and Casey, right?
1: I did. Yes.
0: Yeah. I mean, I told this to Shane, but that's one of the most important, my, my daughter and I, that that song, we listened to that album together because we loved um, Mama's Broken. It's a whole long thing, but basically we got that album the day it came out, right? before it was big. And Sat down and she and I listened to every song together, and Follow Your Arrow was just everything. You know, it just a huge moment in, in our lives, and and that's the thing, right? You, you guys created something that, and that's the thing songwriters get to do that 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 really bring, tr- truly brings people together and creates memories that last, actually last forever. Um, and you know, after I'm gone, my daughter will remember sitting down and saying, "Dad, there's this artist, and can we listen to it together?" And us listening to Follow Your Arrow. You know, Uh, and that's what songwriters, I mean, that's the thing that songwriters do that nobody else really does.
1: Well, thank you. And that's, that's an example of a song that I had no idea the way it would touch people. And the, and the, honestly, when, when I didn't, and, you know, when that song got recorded, I hate to admit this, but there was a part of me that was like, oh, because it knocked another song I had on that project off. And, and I (laughs) thought, well, there's no way that follow your arrow will ever be a single. So my chances of a single on this record are done, but it ended up being way more important and, and, you know, bigger for me than hits I've had because of the reach it had and what it really has, what it really does do for people. I mean, we were, when we said, it changed, it changed country music. Don't you think that song changed country music? Oh, 100%. I, I would agree with you. Yeah, I don't,
0: I, I mean, I, I, I think, I mean, to me, the, the fact that this, you guys, you were, you and, and Shane and Casey were able to talk about those issues in that way, that cleverly. So you said when you're when you were writing it, that's an example of a time you didn't realize that the three, of you were doing something pretty special. Like you didn't start to hear those words and realize, well, this is different.
1: No, you know, Brian, I never know it in the moment. And a lot of times when I think it's something amazing and different in the moment, it's not <laughs> like when, you know, like later on, I'll look back and think, Oh man, I really thought we had something with that one and we didn't. <laughs> um, and that's why I have to turn the editor off in my brain. Cause I just don't know, you know, with that song, I remember Casey had written a little note to a friend of hers. that was going to Europe and it said, um, smoke lots of joints and kiss lots of boys and follow your arrow." And she wanted to turn it into a song. And and I remember her saying, you know, it'd be really cool to have arrows in the artwork of my project. And Casey thinks really visually, and um, which is amazing. And so we wrote that song. And, you know, those are two people, Shane and Casey, that aren't afraid to just go there with things. And, and we wrote so many songs that just went there on all kinds of topics that it, for the three of us, it didn't feel all that different. And so... No, I didn't think, I mean, I loved the song and I loved I loved what it said. I loved how it sounded. I loved when they recorded it, how it sounded. Um, but I didn't know that it would be the anthem that it became.
0: And when you go to a, do you ever go, do you play, do you play those songs in concert? Like, um, do you play the songs that are other people's hits or big songs that you've written? Do you play them when you do shows?
1: sometimes i don't as much as i used to now that i i mean i was gonna say now that i have three albums worth of material which i haven't gotten to really get out and play my new album because of covid but um but i don't as much but i always you know some if somebody asks for those songs i'll play them and and i i try to do especially when it's my own show um a section that's just me and my guitar and so i'll oftentimes just asks, yep. for, asks for requests. And if somebody yells one of those songs out and follow your arrows, one that people ask for, it's not the easiest song for me to sing. Like there's a lot of range in that song. That's not, right. it's, it's a, it's, it's a weird range for me. Um, but I'll do it. And I mean, I, I love that. I have that to do. I, I love, you know, there's nothing like a hit song that yes. there's a power in that. When, when, it, and I don't think it matters if, you were the, the artist, the writer. I don't either. I don't think so at all. No. I mean, you know, it's always great to play a cover song because the power of all those people in one room singing, knowing the song, it's huge.
0: No, totally. And I mean, um, you know, Towns could certainly sing Poncho and Lefty, even though it wasn't He's not the one who had the big hit with it. Right. So it, it, it I think that stuff doesn't doesn't matter. And I, I but I was just wondering if when you play it, you see you see what it does to people. Like you, you see how much it meant to people. Oh, because I can imagine people must tear up. I mean, it must just set the place crazy. Well, it
1: doesn't, you know, more than that, like, this is going to sound really crazy, but I've had fans ask me to write the lyric out pieces in the lyrics so they can get it tattooed on their body.
0: No, I believe it. No, I believe it.
1: When people start doing that, it's like, okay, if you're willing to give up a space on your body for this, it, it obviously matters to you
0: and and how did you speaking of the song and its content and and all the stuff shane and i talked about this a little bit on the podcast but um you're an out gay person and mm-hmm. you're in a one of the most conservative towns in the world in a certain way or religious based um industry in many ways i um and i'm wondering how what happens if someone who has those believe you know beliefs that are sort of uh that, that disapprove of your lifestyle want, like they want to cut your songs or someone who's like got just wildly different take on that. Has it ever been an issue for you? Has it always been easy in, in Nashville?
1: Well, it's always been easy for me, you know, not that it was easy to come to terms with the fact that I was gay, but I never felt, I've never felt any backlash in Nashville. And probably because I live in a bit of a bubble because I'm in a creative community and um, my first publisher was gay and I wrote with a lot of, uh, other songwriters who were gay women. Shane was the first like gay man that I wrote with a lot. I mean, I had written right. with other gay men, but he was, he was the first, um, person I wrote with, with any sort of consistency. And I think that, uh, that was, that was an out gay man. And I think being a gay man, um, in Nashville at that time was way different than being a gay woman. And so, you know, Sure.
0: yes, that makes sense. Yes, of course. Right.
1: So, um, so, and he and, he and I worked together a lot then and still do, but early on in our working together, I remember thinking, well, wow, if he can, if he can be like, if, if he can do this, I can do this, you know, like, I, I, I viewed his walk as way more difficult than mine. And we sure. were both like definitely both like kind of coming out in a big way at the same time. And I know that's not the question you asked me. I re- I just realized that, but um, it was never an issue for me. I've never, there's never been an artist that's cut one of my songs that I've thought that person's homophobic. I don't want them to cut my songs. Cause I don't feel that from, I've never felt that from any artist that's cut my songs.
0: Right. No, sure. That. I'm I'm glad to hear that. And uh, I just know that like the, to, you know, I've, as I said to Shane, I've been in a situation where just even as an atheist Jewish person um, down there, I've had someone, you know, put the guitar down and say, we have to get a few things straight and hand me like, you know, books about religion. So like, I, oh. I've just, I have seen, and he said once or twice, someone's put the guitar down and had to say to him, just so you know, I think it's wrong. What you, you know, your lifestyle's wrong. But, and, well, you uh, know,
1: Brian, I have to say, like, even though, like, Shane told you I'm the best listener he knows and I'm very empathetic, I'm also pretty quick tempered. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and I, and I think that, like, I, I think maybe some people might know that and wouldn't comment to me on my lifestyle because of, because I can be quick tempered. Um, yes. And, you know, it's funny you would say that about being an atheist Jew, Jewish person. I did not mean to say atheist Jew. You can say,
0: I'm fine. I'm comfortable. Don't worry. Yeah.
1: Um, I love so many Jewish people. I have a lot of Jewish people in my world. Um, but I have Scott who, um who is Jewish in, in Nashville. When we first met, he said something to me about being Jewish and how he kind of tried to keep it in the closet. And I was like, what? And I never thought about that being you know in nashville i i probably because it wasn't my walk i i didn't know that you know i mean in my in my experience the jewish people in the music business had all the power
0: so no for sure well that's yeah i mean um for sure that's true my my dad was a big publisher and when i was a kid you know and he's Mm -hmm. a jewish man and for for sure 100 percent um but uh No, when i went down there uh, an artist had heard a song this is a long time ago 10 years ago right when i first started writing songs somehow this guy had heard a song and he invited me down to his house and literally when he figured out i was jewish and whatever he literally put the guitar down started handing me books about religion it was like this whole thing you know and and it was really intense and i was glad that i i i was glad i wasn't doing that for a living and that i could just sort of didn't have any fear in the situation. But I can imagine having tremendous fear in that situation. If, if you were worried about your livelihood, you, know, you know? Oh,
1: Um, well, yeah. And when Scott said that, it just kind of broke my heart a little. Um, and that was, you know, he and I have worked together for quite a while. So that was a while ago. I, I don't, I don't think he feels, I hope he doesn't still feel that way, but yeah, I can't imagine that, you know, um,
0: So you haven't had to have those tough conversations about your lifestyle. It's just been, if people sign up to write with you or to work with you, they know who you are and and you're walking into a room now, certainly where you're, you're known, right?
1: Yeah. And I think I had, I, I had, I've always had people around me, whether it be publishers or managers who, who protected me from that really, you know, I, I, I can see that when I think about it. Like, I just don't think that, I think they did a good job of keeping me out of those rooms.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. How, um, as we wrap up here, how has becoming successful and having, you know, like writing enough of these songs that obviously like money in the short term is not a problem for you and all that stuff. How has that changed? Has it changed anything about how you do what you do?
1: It's really not. um, You know, I I remember the day when I didn't have to worry anymore if I had enough money in the bank to get Starbucks. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, I don't live in a mansion by any means, but I, I feel comfortable in that I don't, I, I'm not someone who lives beyond my means, so I'm lucky in right. that way. Um, but I'm always hungry. I mean, not physically hungry, actually, with this COVID. I mean, I need to, to cut back and, <laughs> and, you know, lose a little weight. But um, I'm always hungry for whatever's next and for remaining relevant in what I do and to, to, you know, to tell a better story and to write a better song, um, so it hasn't changed much for me. I, I feel just as much angst as I ever did. And I, and thank God for the artist' way, because like, I'm trying to quiet those doubters in my head, but I fight those. Um, I've made a couple therapists a lot of money over yeah, my I struggle with, oh. with that demon.
0: I understand it. Well, keep fighting the good fight, please. You are, uh, you're a great songwriter, great artist. Your new album, Your Life is a Record, is truly great. 12 Stories is in- incredibly great. Um, I, I know people have said it's named after the Randy Newman 12 songs. I also figured that Salinger's Nine Stories had something to do with it or Westerberg's 14. But um,
1: can, can I tell you where that came from? Yes, please. None of those places. I, great. I couldn't figure out a title for that album. And it, it was just, you know, all kinds of things. We, there were so many titles going around and, and we were on a deadline and I ha- we, we hired this guy to do the artwork. And he said to me, he, he went home and listened to the album and he and I met at a Chewy's actually in Nashville and yes. I, he said to me, do you have a title for this album? And I said, Oh, I don't, you know, we're between a couple of things. And I told him what those titles were and I can't even remember what they were now. And he said, well, can I tell you what hit me? And I said, sure. He goes, I think you should call it 12 stories. Cause to me, it's oh, twelve little stories. And so I, I can't take credit for it. Um, it, it was, it was the guy that did the artwork on that album.
0: That's wild because listening to it, you would think that that was like the organizing principle behind the whole thing because it's laid out the way it is and the way the stories are told. Oh, that's a great. I'm so glad to know that. Mm-hmm. Um, Brandy, you're awesome. People can find you on Twitter. Are you on Instagram too or not? I
1: am. And it's all the Brandy Clark. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. Um, I'm not the greatest at that, but I am on there.
0: Are you still... Yeah, I just followed you today on Twitter. Are you still doing... Um, your podcast on Wednesday nights or whatever it is. I
1: am. You the, can't come over, but you can come in. In fact, I, I should have you on there if you have the time sometime.
0: My, my, my pleasure. Just let me know. I'm, oh, I'm happy to, to do it. Happy to happy to do it. And um, that's a great song too. I love that song. And I'm glad you named your podcast that. Uh, so go find Brandy Clark. Go listen to her music. And um, you can find me at Brian Koppelman on Twitter. Uh, You can email me, themomentbk, at gmail.com, and I'll see you next time.